Good day. You're tuned into Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph in Montreal, and this is the 44th edition. Thanks so much for uh, being with us today. It is Tuesday, the 1st of June. Today on the program, I'm going to be featuring an interview with Colin Sutherland Wilson, who is a land rights activist. Uh, Colin has been um, raising the alarm, has been speaking about uh, clear-cutting that's taking place on Gitsan traditional territory and has been uh, uh, speaking about the broader context about um, the fact that what is called British Columbia is unceded territory. And uh, the Gitsan Nation has, of course, been integral to pushing that forward. Um, both the Gitsan and Wet'suwet'en were part of the uh, legal challenge that led to the Dalgamuth decision, a very important federal court ruling. Colin critiques uh, the limitations of that decision in this interview and provides some very current information about the controlled access point that has been set up on the roads that lead into traditional Gitsan territory where the provincial government of BC has allowed for um, clear-cutting. Um, so Indigenous people of the Gitsan Nation and allies have been protesting this um, action of logging corporations on Gitsan lands uh, that are taking place without the uh, collective support of the Gitsan Nation. Um, also in this interview, um, what I think is really important is Colin speaks about the context and the history of colonization integral to the Canadian state and links it to the various instruments of colonial violence that were integral to the dispossession of Indigenous people. And we speak about the recent um, finding of a mass grave uh, at the Kamloops Residential School, 215 children in that mass grave. Uh, Colin speaks about this historical genocidal policy of residential schools and relates it to the current examples of ongoing um, injustice and systemic dispossession of Indigenous people in regards to land and territory and in the contemporary example that we're speaking about in this exchange about um, Gitsan territory uh, being logged uh, and clear-cut without the support uh, of the Gitsan Nation, a violation of their rights. So this is our interview here on Free City Radio. Thank you so much for listening, and here's our exchange. I'm joined by Colin Sutherland Wilson of the Gitsan Nation, uh, who has been involved uh, in um, a creation of a controlled access point uh, to stop logging and forestry officials from entering uh, traditional territories within the larger uh, Gitsan nation, there has been um, a, a protest also and a call for support to try to stop clear-cutting on traditional Indigenous territories. Um, these are actions being taken without the consent of the Indigenous nations affected um, and in violation of the Indigenous sovereignty. Um, so I'm really happy to, to speak with you today um, and 
Colin, I'm just wondering maybe if you could, uh, for people who aren't maybe following the situation in detail, I did notice that there was quite a few uh, videos shared on social media recently, which was really great um, and to, to, to spread the word. But this is really a good opportunity, I hope, to hear some context and background. So if you could just share a bit about what has been happening and some of the key issues involved. Thank you so much. Hey, I'm a Hilu. That's Gik Sanamach for Good Morning. So my name is Colin Sutherland-Wilson. I come from the Gik San Nation, from the Fireweed Clan, from a house known as Git Luthum Hetwit. And the meaning of Git Luthum Hetwit is the ones who can be leaned upon. Mm. And our story is very similar to what's happened with the Wet'suwet'en, what was playing out there with Coastal Gaslink, because the Gixan and Wet'suwet'en legal systems are very similar, going back thousands of years. And given the proximity of our nations, you know, there has been a lot of exchange of culture and of uh, governance. Mm -hmm. And so the basics are the Gixan as a nation is composed of four clans, mm -hmm. the Farweed clan, the Wolf clan, the Frog clan, and the Eagle clan. And within each of, this clan, each of these clans are branching house groups. And there are 60 plus house groups which divide the entirety of the territory into smaller territories, which we refer to as Lachia. And now within these smaller territories, each house group is the topmost authority. Mm -hmm. So if you were to look at it, Perhaps with the Western lens, you would see it as a, an extremely decentralized state made of numerous autonomous actors that exist at a smaller scale and have complete jurisdiction over those individual territories. Okay. And right now, the Gitluthum Hetwit, my house group, which has two territories known as Xuwi Maswit and Xiwi Sanskit, have decided that we've had enough with the illegal logging that's happened on our territories. And so we've completely shut off access completely to our territories, to all logging, all government employees and uh, all representatives of the province. Meanwhile, all Gixan, all people are free to access those territories for recreational use. Mm -hmm. This is simply the result of the fact that BC has been perpetrating illegal logging on our territory, which breaks our laws, which has not involved uh, a single degree of consultation, which has absolutely no consent. And, you know, our, our families had enough. Thanks so much for taking the time to break all that down. We wouldn't hear that on CBC. So thank you. Um, I guess um, maybe we can just focus on the point that you just finished on, which was um, illegal logging condoned by the BC government. Can you underline that a bit more? And just, just for people to really just understand fundamentally how um, this is an illegal industrial logging process that violates, uh, in, in essence, the sovereignty of the Gitsen uh, nation. And uh, just in the sense of, I think, people might have a hard time, not, I mean, some viewers, of course, uh, will understand this, but some people might ha have a hard time to think that the uh, colonial government uh, would be uh, the one violating 
these uh, uh, laws of sovereignty. Um, so if we could just underline that a bit more and, and the importance of just really turning over and rethinking uh, legal landscapes in so-called Canada. Yeah, I think that's extremely important. So for one, the, uh, the Gixan legal system is referred to as our Ayok. And this is a legal system that's been developed over many thousands of years. And through our oral histories, we date it back primarily to the fall of one of our ancient cities known as Demlahamid. And there are many stories referring to this place, but following the calamities that took place there, you know, mainly due to overpopulation and stresses on the natural environment, like that is when our system of smaller territory tenures by individual house groups was developed. Mm-hmm. And ever since that point, it's been integral in our law, mm-hmm. uh, shaped by our history, mm-hmm. that one, we respect the land, we mm-hmm. respect the animals, we respect the plants, mm-hmm. and we respect the people. Mm-hmm. And that's always been the basis of our law because we've seen uh, numerous times how humanity can impact the environment and what types of effects that can have as repercussions because our culture is very old our history Mm -hmm. details events clearly back to the ice age Mm -hmm. and I, i think that's an important distinction to make too like our people have been managing these forests since they grew back after the glacial ice sheets retreated and canada has only been here for 150 years and so you know, there's a huge uh, discrepancy in, in the duration of legal yeah. systems on these territories. Yeah. And, and another important point is the Kixan Nation has never ceded any of our authority to manage our territories, to govern ourselves. Um, and British Columbia has absolutely no title in this case. Mm-hmm. You know, in court cases like Tsilkotin, you've even seen that they, they made up terms like de facto title to describe the fact that there was never an official transfer of title, but BC still has some type of claim just because they were simply here. Mm-hmm. But as Gixan, we all know this is rooted in a fundamental racism that exists within the system, which you know we've experienced quite viscerally uh, ever since the, the first incursion of the colonial state onto our territories, which was that our people were subhuman and incapable of governing ourselves and required assimilation within the dominant state because we, you know, simply lacked the capabilities and intelligence to manage and use our resources in in a way that the state would, which as we see now is, you know, blatant exploitation of the the territories, the resources, which has caused irreparable damage to salmon bearing streams, to, populations of uh, moose and bears and minks and lynxes and cougars and like it it never ends we have rare endangered species of lichens you know many of them holdouts from these uh, glaciation periods we have you know within our mountains and our forests uh, old growth cedar and hemlock and many of it once destroyed is irreplaceable Mm -hmm. and the bc government like they're not concerned with the sustained health of these forests. Mm-hmm. Even we can see like in their standard forestry practices across the boards, once they clear it a block, 
they'll spray it with glycivates to stop any coniferous trees from growing so they can purely harvest uh, the high value trees that they're targeting for the market. And for our people, you know, these practices fly in the face of every one of our laws, the four laws that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Respect the land, respect the animals, respect the plants, respect the people. Mm -hmm. Because we don't come from a human-centric uh, view of the universe. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a very big distinction. And, you know, to us, it's almost ridiculous to wipe out, you know, stands of forest, which we have maintained and utilized for millennia mm -hmm. within the span of a single generation. Because our people have... Our focus has always been to sustain ourselves well into the future to the point where we've successfully managed these territories, thrived on these lands for well over 10,000 years. And to see that all go up in flames in a single generation because of outsiders who, you know, see nothing but money in our forests. And so there's a very, very distinct How would I word it? It's a difference in culture. It's a difference in approach. And in Canada, you know, they've always debased our culture. They've always targeted our leadership. They've always threatened us with violence in the past when we stand up for these kinds of things. In 2018, you know, we had a similar blockade on our territories. And they threatened us with the RCMP, with injunctions. And you know, left, uh, they, they severely disrespected our leadership, our chiefs, our governance. And they even claimed that our house group, uh, Wilpti Basa, or as we call it by the original name, the Gitlu from Hetwin, never existed. Mm. And so, and this is not new to us. We are very used to the colonial state trying to erase every facet of our existence to justify what they're doing to our territories to justify this this uh this scam that they are perpetuating that the fact that they're trying to claim all of these resources that the fact that they're trying to assert authority when they have no title when they have no legal justification when they have no moral justification when they have absolutely no justification aside from their use of violence which often comes at the entities uh from entities such as the rcmp and various other uh, employees of the state. And, and something like a good distinction to note about genocide is genocide is a conflict of social identities. And you know, if we look very objectively at what Canada has done to our people, they have tried to completely erase our social identity from this entire landscape. And the most visceral reminder came recently with those 215 children that were found at the Kamloops. But that is only the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Like what happened there? And this is also, it's important to keep in mind within the grand context of things. Um, you know, that is one mass grave of many. And most um, residential schools, as far as I'm aware, have not had ground penetrating radar used to search the vicinity for, uh, for bodies. And I am certain that 
every estimate that we've seen up to this point doesn't even come close to the real number. And if we look at the approach of the Canadian government, like we see like very um, tangible and, and striking proof of genocide, yet not a single person, not a single nun priest, not a single RCMP officer who brought those children there knowing full well that they would be murdered. Not any other um, accomplices of the state have been charged and arrested to date. And many of them are still alive. Many of them walk our streets. Many of them became school teachers. Many of them, you know, exist seamlessly within Canadian society on stolen land. And yet there's been no tribunals for crimes against humanity. There has been no attempts to arrest uh, the perpetrators of genocide, including uh, government officials within the Canadian government, within the British Columbian government. There's been no attempt to charge any accessories to genocide, including all the people who are simply doing their job, the RCMP officers who would sniff out children on the reserve, take them to these schools, and who would not follow up on missing people's reports, who would never give any uh, information or consolation to the grieving parents and grandparents who had no idea where their children left to, or no idea whether they would ever come back. And at so many levels, um, like, like this genocide, it has never been properly addressed within this country. And lowering flags to half mast it is such a shallow response, I believe, on, on the part of Canadian government officials because like all of their hands are, are tainted with this blood. And imagine all those children, like those are my aunties, my uncles, my grandparents. Those are the many family members that I never had a chance to experience life with. And not even counting the irreparable uh, psychological and emotional damage mm. that happened to the people who did return, to, to the children who were forced to dig those graves, to bury their peers, to bury their sisters. So, you know, even with the TRC, even with all of these, you know, so-called actions that have taken place to address what happened in the residential school, even with these payouts which were supposed to essentially you know, bring peace to the survivors. Like, like it pales in comparison to what should be done to the proper response to genocide. Like imagine if you were, you know, a part of like, like I'll use this example because I, I think to many in the Western audience, this is a bit more tangible because, uh, you know, still, uh, I noticed there is like a bit of a, a desensitization when it comes to these things, when it comes to Indigenous people. Um, like, imagine that you were taken to a, a Nazi concentration camp. And many of the people you went there with died, were buried in mass graves. Then afterwards, you know, once it was over, like all those Nazis still walk the streets. All those people who stood by idly, 
all the people who turned in the runaways, all the people who, you know, were completely complicit, all of the high officials within government, you know, still had their pensions and still got to thrive off of intergenerational wealth. And all their descendants still lived on your stolen land. Like it's, you know, to me, it's quite frankly unreal. And, and I think like we really need to get away from, you know, this rhetoric of, of reconciliation, this rhetoric that is used by the Canadian state, which, you know, very much fails to grasp the, the gravity of the crimes that did take place and that continue to take place. Yeah. Because like how I prefaced this whole uh, monologue just now, that the Canadian state is still trying to erase us. Mm -hmm. They are still trying to erase any semblance of political power that we still hold. Mm -hmm. And the prime minister will still stand up and try to boldfacedly claim that he values nation to nation relationships. And I can tell you that's a lie. Yeah. They only value relationships with entities that they can control, like the band councils. Because the band councils are employees of the federal government. They were formed by the federal government. They were instituted with the assistance of the RCMP mm -hmm. and the persecution of our original governments. And so we saw this in Witsovedon. Mm -hmm. And we see this now in Ferry Creek. We see all these instances where the band council is the justification that's used to erase any power and voice that our original governments have in order to facilitate uh, industry. Well, that's really what I was hoping to talk about today. Uh, and I think everything you've said about um, the genocidal history that shapes the Canadian state, um, even for like sort of frameworks of rhetoric that reference and acknowledge this history, uh, and that has changed, you know, within our lifetimes, there is more public acknowledgement of histories of cultural genocide and practices of genocide that are central to the foundation of the Canadian colonial settler state. But often that is then removed from, you know, when you were talking about this rhetoric of reconciliation and critiquing that. And th thank you so much for highlighting how important that is, because, you know, you mentioned Wet'suwet'en, but this is not the only example. I mean, thankfully, the Wet'suwet'en struggle went global. People were paying attention. But with the pandemic, that really... Um, you know, there was less focus, but it's not as if situation changed. So I was wondering if you could talk just about these contemporary examples and the importance of understanding these examples as contemporary illustrations of this history you were talking about, how these moments actually are not sort of anomalies or they're not sort of unique situations, but they're actually profoundly tied to the history that you're talking about. Um, and, and in that, just lastly, if you could just give us a little bit of like more tangible updates of what's actually been happening in the last weeks, just because it hasn't been that covered on the news. And I, it's so important that this information gets out there. Thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. Um, so like to understand what's happening in the contemporary context, I believe we really have to look at like the foundation of British Columbia itself. 
because unlike every other Canadian province, British Columbia never signed treaties with the, uh, the indigenous peoples that fell within its self-imposed colonial borders. Mm-hmm. And that was due to the fact that they did not find it necessary mm-hmm. that very much against Canadian law at the time, against the Royal Proclamation of 1763, before they became confederated within Canada, mm-hmm. they decided it would be far cheaper rather than to purchase the lands or to have any due process or agreements to simply take it. And once they joined Canada, this became an issue that existed for a long time between Canada and British Columbia, because British Columbia was essentially breaking all of the established laws. But after a certain point, this entire struggle just disappeared. And everyone seemed to accept that, okay, like British Columbia just unilaterally, you know, took over all this vast swaths of territory, these territories, which, you know, in many cases, not a single person of European descent had ever traversed, even experienced or even witnessed with their own eyes. And, And so going forward, the Wet'suwet'en and the Gixan were involved in a, a very monumental court case that was referred to as Delgamu versus British Columbia, which was initiated in the late 80s. The initial case in the Supreme Court of British Columbia ended in 1991, in which the uh, Alan McEachern, the, the justice, the Supreme Court of British Columbia justice, ruled that because the Gixan and Wet'suwet'en were so primitive and that their lifestyles were so nasty, brutish, and short, and because they had an existence that was little more than a doe wandering aimlessly in the field, that we could not have our own legal system, that we could not possibly have any type of uh, rights or title that pertain to the lands in which we exist, and that we had no means of combating the uh, superior title that was imposed imposed by the province. And from that point forward, you know, British Columbia um, essentially had set its course. Um, well, even before that, but here this bolstered their course for the, the policy of extinguishment. Because mm-hmm. essentially this court ruling was the extinguishment of our rights and title, which unlike the other province, which required treaties to formally extinguish this. Here, British Columbia managed to pull off through the courts a unilateral extinguishment of all title of all nations across the entire province. And so thankfully, our people appealed this within the courts. Yeah. This went to the, uh, the, the British Columbia Court of Appeals, where you know one part of it was overturned. Mm-hmm. in regards to our rights, but the issue of title was still um, completely up in the air. And so then we brought it to the Supreme Court of Canada, which in 1997 ruled that British Columbia had absolutely no rights or jurisdiction or no power to extinguish our rights and title. Mm-hmm. But the problem in that ruling is that they said that we still have Aboriginal title and rights, but they never defined what that was. 
Because rather than a ruling which said the Gixan people clearly have the rights and title to their own territories, which they've never ceded and which they have, uh, you know, managed for thousands of years, they came up with this new terminology, a lesser form of rights and title, which they would, uh, which they would allow us to retain. And so then that gets into the, the whole problem of the courts yeah. simply as an entity which in itself is entirely incapable of undermining the sovereignty of the entity that gives it power. So they cannot undermine the Canadian state. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They do not have the power to do that. And so I think Delgamuk shows many of the limitations of the court system in addressing these issues. Mm-hmm. And, and British Columbia and Canada were fully aware of this fact. And so following Delgamuk, yeah, we've seen in the 23 years, uh, 24 years now, since the ruling in 1997, this uh, renewal of, of consultation, because following the 91 ruling, they unilaterally extinguish all our rights, but following the 97 ruling, they found out that they could not do that. So they needed a process. They began with the modern treaties. Yeah. They began with uh, negotiating with our leaderships. But through this process, we, we've seen that British Columbia has now begun to favor the band council entity over the uh, the original governments and they've done everything in their power to you know bolster uh, a divide within our nations based along these lines they've done everything in their power to ultimately uh, smear our original governments like we've seen with Woodsoden where they created this big distinction of a democratically elected band council model versus a you know, antiquated, hereditary, uh, like, monarchy or... Yeah, I mean, they're like sort of like dismissing the cultural heritage and indigenous frameworks of governance and belittling uh, those frameworks in this this rhetoric that's so violently colonial. Um, All this background is so essential. um, And I really appreciate, Colin, you outlining this and, and taking the time to share all this uh, context. So what has been happening in the last few weeks and um, the importance of, of paying, paying attention and tuning in? So right now, my house group, the Gitluzum Hetwin, have completely blocked off access to one of our territories, Suilamask. And that's a territory that exists in close proximity to the village of Kispiox in Northern British Columbia. And the reason we've done this is because entirely against the consent of our leadership, our house, our people, and our entire governance system, they have over the past few decades logged off uh, numerous clear cuts deep into our territory, up into the mountains, right up to the train line along the, uh, the length of a major tributary, which is the creek, which our territory is named after. And all of this has been 
completely against the will of my house and family, which has never once consented to any development on our territories, which continues to assert our law and governance to this day. And so 2021 is the year where we decided like we are gonna install a gate on the territory and anyone who comes up, we're gonna turn them away and we're gonna occupy at this point 24 seven. And right now the, the province has already hired a contractor which came up uh, quite early on to try to remove the gate with an excavator. We had to turn them away and the province we are about to have discussions with them on the 5th, but they've made it clear even in the, even in their preamble to the meeting where they said, like, no matter what, like, we need you to either remove the gate or keep it open so that people can go up there to do their, their lawful activities, which they're referring to um, the, the logging companies, which have uh, licenses to cut on those cut blocks up there. Not licenses from you. No, no, they have absolutely no consent from our family. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so, like, we're going to see how these discussions go. Um, we're going to, I have, like, no doubt that they will not be changing their positions overall. And, and, and I think this is going to have to grow to a, a much higher level of, uh, of, of, of discussion because... Our nation, um, the Giksan, like as I'm sure many are aware, are, are probably at the very top tier when it comes to historical blockades. You know, we're right up there with the Mohawks, and and my house group is one of over 60. And so, yeah. well, the situation on the ground right now is that we have a lot of other Giksan house groups who have been meeting with my family, who have been looking at what we are doing and who have similar circumstances playing out on their territories, who have, uh, you know, these decisions that are being made at levels of the Canadian government and even many of them uh, in the form of co-opting our leadership through societies, um, which the majority of the population has no idea is happening because there's absolutely no transparency within the consultation process. This is not, the government likes to claim that when they negotiate with these entities on behalf of nations, that it's a democratic process. When we all know that is clearly not the case. When there is, you know, like when you look at CGL, when you look at- um, Coastal gasoline pipeline. Yep, coastal gasoline pipeline. When you look at, Many of these major projects, where are the, the referendums? Where are, you know, these democratic processes that, they, that the government likes to proclaim are, are in place? Mm-hmm. Because they, many of the times they simply don't exist. And as a person on the ground here in the Gixan Nation, I know full well that my people are fed up with the destruction of our inheritance, with the destruction of these forests which has sustained us for countless millennia. These forests, these cedar trees, which they've already ravaged to the point where we barely have trees to make our totem poles anymore, trees of that size and quality. That, you know, we, we have to protect this because it's an eyesore. We look up our valleys. We, we see these horrendous bald patches. We see the impacts of our salmon. 
and uh, on our, our moose populations and on wow. all these other uh, fundamental aspects of the, the Gixan lifestyle. And like we know that ransacking our wealth simply to enjoy like a brief period of monetary gain is absolutely unacceptable. And so very, it's very likely that we're going to see a lot more happening on this, um, on the northern, northern coastal interior up here, like with the Gixan nation and with our neighbors, because, you know, in many ways, the Gixan and the Wet'suwet'en are the strongest legally positioned indigenous nations in the world to be doing this type of work. And ultimately, like we are the government, government on our land. We have never ceded our authority to make decisions and to protect it. And so very much um, like the goal is to have, you know, return to our Gixan legal order. And, you know, many of our elders used to say, like, if it's yours, then act like it. And this is what British Columbia does not like. They do not like us enacting our laws, enacting our legal system, enacting our means of protecting territorial integrity. Mm -hmm. And they will come at us with police. They will come at us with injunctions. Mm -hmm. You know, as we see right now in Ferry Creek, where they're mobilizing millions of dollars worth of Canadian taxpayer budget to arm a bunch of hyped up John Waynes who just want to go there and arrest as many young people as possible, you know, to facilitate the destruction of one of the most beautiful and last intact old growth forests on the Southern Island. And, and I think optically for, for Canada, for BC, especially uh, provincial government, which had proclaimed a, a love for old growth forests and, you know, a, a whole strategy to protect them like this. Like, yeah, this, this is a very clear um, indication that, you know, the bottom line for any party within the Canadian government is going to be to preserve the, uh, like the colonial interests and integrity of their claims. Yeah. Um, that they will never relinquish those like regardless of how unjustifiable it is you know it's a sad state of affairs because in my village here i know for a fact that well over 95 percent of the people here voted ndp in the two elections ago because they seem like the only option that would actually take us seriously that would actually move things forward but now we've seen that it's exactly the same old story well, we regardless of who is in power, that we're going to see the very same approach to uh, us as Indigenous people and the exact same racist legal system that attempts our, our erasure as a sovereign entity. Thinking back to Gustafson Lake also was happened during a NDP government. Um, Colin, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk today about all this. Um and just, just quickly, um, are there a few hashtags or websites people could follow to learn about, about the specifics of what you're happening and to follow and, and also figure out ways to support? Yeah, we've uh, recently set up our social media 
So on Facebook, that would be Get Loose from Hetwit Media. I'll, I'll send you the exact sure, sure. Yeah, you. great. Um, <laughs> and then on Instagram, it's Get underscore Loose underscore Um underscore Hetwit. I'll send you that spelling too. That's, and that's on great. Twitter, get loose from Hetwit Media. And on YouTube, our channels get loose from Hetwit Media. And great. That is where we post all of our updates from you know, videos that we were making to clarify the situation Perfect. and to tell our story all the way to, you know, CBC interviews that we record or you know, letters that we send the <laughs> ministries or even respect. You know, documentations of conflicts like especially the one with the excavator respect 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 thanks colin hey no worries thank you thank you that was colin sutherland wilson who was speaking about the gitsan nation's opposition to corporate logging that is taking place on their territories um and that is taking place without the collective support of the gitsan nation and also with uh, policies of the BC provincial government that condone this activity on Gitsan lands. I thought this interview was really important to share this week, especially as, again, uh, people are thinking critically about the foundations of colonial dispossession that um, basically are integral to the existence of the Canadian state. Um, so thank you so much to Colin for joining Free City Radio this week. It is Tuesday, the 1st of June in Montreal. Gio Giage. I'm Stefan Christoph. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. We have a new podcast every Tuesday. The next one will be out next week. I look forward to talking with you then. I'm going to go out uh, with a collaboration of some friends of mine uh, to finish the show. This is Yassine Bey, Narsi, and A Tribe Called Red. I'll talk to you next week. Suckers allowed to break bread or asunder The daylight, lightning and the thunder Sun, moon, stars and the hunger Abundance in bundles Blessings and troubles Towers and tunnels, views and valleys Waves and peaks, streets you from sun Planet Earth, and ain't scared of no Mars attack What type of bars is that? Stay off my chat I'm out there calling riot garments Top five, dying on and on them Super fly, slicker, top rope Eagle diving on them You why you lying, homie? You won't play with my emotions, Smokey Big Chief Heart Rate, Big Beak, B-E-Y, I see straight jacket, come clean, big said it was a dream. Now it's a living thing. With you and living kings, I mean it, I mean.
Confronted by the Alai Nation, Alien Nation, the subjects and the citizens see the material religions through trauma and numb. Nothing is related. All the things of the earth and in the sky have energy to be exploited. Even themselves, mining their spirits into souls sold into nothing is sacred, not even their self. The Alai Nation, Alia Nation. You and living kings, I mean it, I mean, I mean it, I mean. Y'all seen it, y'all seen in the R.E.D. I mean it, I mean. Original nation, we punch under the I mean, I mean it, I mean. Straight jacket, come clean, y'all seen it, y'all seen in the R.E.D. Original nation, we punch under the I We are the Halusa Nation. We have been called the Indians. We have been called Native American. We have been called hostile. 